Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. We're jumping into the middle of an execution in Acts 7.59. While they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after saying this, he, Stephen, died. Saul agreed with putting him to death. And on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said, and as they listened and saw the signs he was performing, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of the many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. A man named Simon, who had previously practiced sorcery in that city and amazed the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great, they had all paid attention to him from the least of them to the greatest, and they said, this man is called the great power of God. They were attentive to him because he had amazed them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Even Simon himself believed. And after he was baptized, he followed Philip everywhere and was amazed as he observed the signs and great miracles that were being performed. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And after they were down there, they prayed for them so that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit because they had not yet come down, because he had not yet come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give me this power also so that anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter told him, may your silver be destroyed with you because you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, your heart's intent may be forgiven. For I see you are a person. You are poisoned by bitterness and bound by wickedness. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon replied, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. So after they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Question for you, just with a show of hands. Uh, how many of you are native Floridians, like you were born here in the state of Florida? Okay, about half. Me too. I was born here. 
Um, Florida is not exactly a mountainous state. It's pretty flat. I think like the height, the normal height is like six feet around here in Broward County, unless you go out to the trash dump. And I remember going as a kid by the trash dump on the turnpike and it's stinking and smelling and us joking around, there is the highest mountain in South Florida. But for those of you who grew up in South Florida, do you remember the first time you left and maybe went to either the Smoky Mountains or the Rocky Mountains or the Sierras in Colorado? Do you remember what it was like to see those mountains and just not even have a category for them? <laughs> I remember going to the, Ro the Rockies when I was a kid. In the summer, I got to take my kids out to Colorado, and I got to hike uh, with one, my oldest daughter up, um, I think it was either an 11,000 or 12,000 foot mountain, and it took us about three hours to get up there. And once we were up there, we were in the clouds and had this 360 degree view. And my oldest kid had never seen anything like that. And we just had this moment of awe together because what we were viewing was awesome. It really was awesome. Uh, that word awesome is funny though. Because I find that I use it a lot for things that aren't really awesome. Like something that's awesome is being on top of this 12,000 foot mountain and having this amazing view. Uh, awesomeness has to do with like transcendence. Being part of something that's bigger than yourself or greater than yourself and actually feeling small. The word awesome comes from the word awe. Like, I'm in awe of something. You know, the Grand Canyon, or if you've been out of the city and you've seen the stars at night and you didn't realize there are that many stars in the sky, that is awesome because you're in awe of how big things are and how small you are. But I use the word awesome for things that have nothing to do with what's actually awesome. I actually found myself over the weekend even, even though I knew I was going to talk about this, like someone would say, I'll see you tomorrow, and I would just write, awesome, you know? <laughs> it is interesting. Um, we live in a world where we say everything is awesome, and yet there's so few moments we have where we're truly in awe of something. There's so few moments where we, we, we sense how small we are, because we live in this world that is so convenient, right? Everything's so convenient. I mean, the other day, uh, I think it was yesterday, I ordered something on Amazon at like 8 a.m., and it was at my house at 3. And I was like, that's awesome, right? That's awesome that it showed up. But then, but I, but I thought about it, and I was like, you know, th that is really cool, especially during COVID. Amazon and, and uh, you know, all the food delivery services, those things are really great. But I also thought, I was like, you know, is it good for me to always be able to press a button and have someone show up at my door with what I want. Like, that's almost the opposite of what awesome is. Awesomeness is about feeling small and being in awe of something, but that's really about, like, me being at the center of things. I hit a button, and someone brings me what I want. We live in this world of convenience, but we also live in this world where we're not really sure what awesome is. I mean, we feel awestruck awe, awesome. We feel awestruck when we get to meet a celebrity. I remember when I was a little kid, I got to meet Mr. T, and I was like, this is awesome, Mr. T. 
But it's interesting to think about, like, I mean, what is awesome about celebrities, right? I mean, they're really just ordinary people. Some of them have incredible talents, but they're ordinary people who have an incredible talent, but basically caught a lucky break. And there's something about us, though, when we see them, when we're like, wow, it's Mr. T. You know, or we feel so connected to them on social media. I follow some celebrities that I just find interesting, and I have to remind myself that I don't actually know the people that I think I know so much about, right? I don't actually know them. <laughs> they feel like they're my friends because I'm in, I'm in their life. So we live in this tension. We're, we're, we're confused. Like everything's awesome, and yet at the same time, we're not really truly in awe of the right things. But there is this deep longing in our heart. There's this deep longing in our heart to be in awe of something, to be in the presence of something that is truly awesome. And I don't really have the the answers for those tensions that we feel, but I do know this. The human heart longs to be in awe of something great because we were made for relationship with an awesome God. The human heart longs to be in awe because we were made for relationship with an awesome God. And by awesome, I don't mean cool. I mean great. I mean beyond us. I mean transcendent. I mean standing in front of the Grand Canyon is just just a microcosm of what it's like to stand before an awesome God. But here's the great thing about God. He's actually broken through into our world. Though he's beyond us, though he's greater than us, he has punctured into our realm, into the everyday existence that we have, and he is working. And we get to be part of it. God has broken through and is working in our world to spread the message of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. God has broken in with good news for sinners. When Jesus came in, it was God himself coming through his son so that when Jesus went to the cross, our sin was put on him. And through knowing Jesus Christ, through repenting and believing, we could know and have relationship with an awesome God. With an awesome God. But here's the thing. God continues to be at work in this world. A transcendent God who is above us and beyond us continues to come near in this world as the gospel message spreads. That's the main way God is working in this world, spreading the good news about his beloved son. And here's the thing. If we're willing to sit back and get a fresh perspective on how God is doing that, and that God is spreading the good news, we might regain some of that awe that we long for. We, we might see God's awesomeness and in one sense feel small, but at the same time feel blessed that we get to be part of what he's doing in the world. So as we look at this text today, I want to ask that question, where is it awesome? How is it awesome? And the first thing we see in this story is it's awesome because God is at work spreading the the good news in bad times. 
God is at work spreading the good news in bad times. You, you saw, right? The story started off with a bang. They dragged Stephen out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul agreed with putting him to death. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. Now, this is the first time that the church has experienced oppression for following Jesus. Before this, what has happened is people actually like them because they just did. Now, all of a sudden, they're finding this guy named Saul does not like them, and he's creating bad times for the church. And what's happening is they're having to run away from the city of Jerusalem because if they stay in Jerusalem, they will get killed. But as they're running, God is working. See, as they're running, they're running away from Jerusalem. People are going, hey, where are you going? Well, we're leaving Jerusalem. Why are you leaving Jerusalem? Well, they're trying to kill us. Why are they trying to kill you? Because Jesus rose from the dead, and he's our king, and he's Israel's long-awaited Messiah. And if we stay there with that message, they will take our life. Now, see, here, here's the twist. Here's what's awesome. Saul comes in and tries to persecute the church in order to stop the spread of the message. But it's the persecution which causes the Christians to flee and actually ends up spreading the message. God uses the very thing that was meant to stop the spread of the good news to spread the good news. It's not that the gospel message spreads in spite of persecution. The message spreads through persecution. As the Christians run, they share the good news of why they're running, and the message of Jesus spreads. Now, can you imagine being one of those first Christians? Can you imagine being one of those first Christians running? If they catch you, you are dead. Your life is on the line. And yet at the same time, at this moment in history, those very people that are running are the people that God is using the most in the entire world. Like, that's the place that God is most present at work, in their running with the message of Jesus. God is at work spreading the good news in bad times through them as they run. Maybe, maybe in light of that, you and I should rethink our bad times. Uh, because when we go through hard things, the first thing I think when I go through trials is God it doesn't feel like you're working, and it sure doesn't feel like you're awesome because this is hard. Yet, in this story, what God wants to accomplish in the world is done by the very thing that makes us feel like he's absent in our lives. Through pain, through trials, through persecution, it feels like God is far away and absent and not awesome. And yet it's that very moment where God is most at work. Maybe there's a place for you to examine your own pain and loss as you follow Jesus and wonder, God, how could you use me? I mean, that would be amazing, wouldn't it be? 
If God used that moment you're in right now that hurts so much, if God used that to spread the message of the gospel, isn't that awesome to think about? Now, I'm not saying you like the pain. I'm not saying you don't want to get out of the pain. Those guys were running away from the persecution. And yet at the same time, God was using it in ways that they could not imagine. And God is working in ways in your life in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the problems, in the midst of the persecution, in ways that you cannot imagine. That is awesome. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. God works in bad times, but in those bad times, he worked in the bad people who were causing the bad times. You notice the name Saul appears. Uh, the name Saul appears in Acts 8.3. It says, Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. Um, Saul is such a prominent character in the New Testament. He's written so many of the letters that you and I read as Christians that we forget he was an evil man. Evil. He was a bad dude. I mean, read that again with me. Saul was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. No compassion. This man was out to get followers of Jesus. But God was working. Acts chapter 8 is just one chapter in front of Acts chapter 9. And here's what happens in the very next chapter. Saul is changed. Verse 1 in chapter 9 says, Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He's still a bad, evil man. But he goes to the high priest and requests letters from the high priest to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one who you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And in that moment, that bad guy who caused bad times for the Christians was forever changed. Was forever changed by Jesus Christ. God was not only just working in the bad times, he was working in the bad people who had created the bad times for the Christians. And that's amazing. Now, maybe Paul's story resonates with you. Some of you have a background and you go, that was kind of like me, like I was going in one direction away from God, and then Jesus showed up in my life, and I went 180 degrees in the other direction and started following Jesus. I got radically saved. But, but my guess is your record isn't quite like Saul's before he came Paul. This was a bad, evil man. But here's the thing. No matter how evil a person is, it cannot stop God's work in their life. And that is amazing. 
Hold on, let me tell you this story. In the 90s, during the first Liberian Civil War, Liberia is a country in West Africa, there was a warlord named Joshua Blayi. Joshua Blayi. And Joshua was a warlord who led his troops into battle and by the end of the first Civil War claimed to have killed 20,000 people. Not 200, not 2,000, 20,000 people. Before he would go into battle, he would often offer human sacrifices. Yes, human sacrifices. Not only that, sometimes they were children. Not only that, he was also into cannibalism. He had grown up as a pagan priest turned warlord, and he would lead his soldiers into battle. Now, I, I don't really like being vulgar in the pulpit. That's not my style, but I'm just going to tell you what his name, his nickname was, because it's important to understand how evil this man was. His nickname was General But Naked. And the reason was because he would lead his troops into battle without any clothes on, because he was so savage and barbaric. And by the end of the war, he had killed 20,000 people. He was also known as the most evil man in the world. Until one church in Liberia decided to fast and pray. One church in Liberia decided to fast and pray for the most evil man in the world. They fasted and prayed for 54 days. And after 54 days, they went into Joshua's camp. They figured out a way to get into the camp. And they spoke to him the message of the gospel. And Joshua repented and believed. Joshua repented and believed the gospel. He believed the good news. Now, what a record. <laughs> To have What a list of sins to have. And yet, God was at work, not only in bad times, but in the midst of bad people, through that church who took a risk and went to him. And now Joshua is a follower of Jesus. Not only that, he is a pastor and evangelist who works with child soldiers from the very civil wars that he has been part of. Because God works in bad times, and he works people. And that is amazing. That is amazing that God would work in someone like that. But God isn't just at work in evil people. God is also at work in all peoples. You remember when Chris Curtis preached a few weeks ago, he preached from Acts 1-8. And there Jesus commands his disciples you will be my witnesses when the Spirit comes on you and you will go from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But here's the thing. At this moment in the early church, they haven't yet broken out of Jerusalem and Judea to Samaria because Samaria, Samaria was inhabited by Samaritan people. Samaritan people were half Jewish, half Gentile, and were not liked by the Jews or the Gentiles. If you remember reading stories of Jesus, Jesus would go through Samaria, but the disciples didn't really want to go with them because Jews don't like Samaritans. 
Yet through this persecution, the Jews, Jewish Christians are on the run and enter into Samaria. Philip, who is an evangelist, goes into Samaria and preaches the good news. He preaches the good news. He, he does miracles. And people who are sick are healed. People who are demon-possessed are freed from demonic oppression. And there's great joy in this city because Philip, the Jewish Christian, went outside of his home to people who were not Jewish and preached the good news. This was the next stop in God's agenda to see the message spread to all people. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, which is where we are. You ever thought about that? Actually, as Christians here in the United States, we are at the ends of the earth. Now, I know that Christianity has flourished, in a sense, in the West, Europe, North America, but Christianity is not a North American religion. It's actually a Middle Eastern religion that has spread to us here at the ends of the earth. Now, that's important as we think about God's program to spread the gospel message to all people because Christianity is not an American religion. It's not a white middle-class religion. It is, a, it is a faith in Jesus Christ that is spreading across the entire world. And if you look at other religions, you'll notice that almost all of them have a home base and you might have followers from those home, from that, in that religion that are spread throughout the world, but the center of that religion always stays in that one place. For instance, Islam will always have at the center of its religion be Mecca. Uh, Hinduism will always have the center of their religion be in India and, and South Asia. But Christianity continues to spread, and the center of that religion, of our faith, shifts. Over the past 500 years, the center of it has been in Europe and North America, but it is shifting south. It is spreading into South America and Africa. And right now, we are 2.5 billion strong across the world. There is 2.5 billion people in the world who say, I am a follower of Jesus. Now, that's in America, we have like 360,000 people in the United States. I'm sorry, 360 million but worldwide, there are 2.5 billion Christians. The graph you see up is done by Dr. Gina Zerlo from the Center for Study of Global Christianity. And what she did is she looked at the population of Christians around the world as the message continues to spread. And you know what she found? Only 10% of Christians live in North America. Out of the Christians worldwide, only 1 in 10 are from our continent. Not only that, but only one in 10 about speak English. In fact, 16% of Christians worldwide speak Spanish as a first language. And half of the 2.5 billion Christians around the world, half of them live in South America and Africa. Over a billion Christians just in South America and Africa alone. Not only are they spread out, most of them are impoverished. Most of our brothers and sisters around the world who follow Jesus Christ are impoverished. About half of them don't have internet access. And one in five live on less than $100 a day. Now, why does all that matter? Why do all the statistics matter? 
Well, right now, you and I are kind of focused on Christianity here, right, in North America. And I would say right now the church doesn't have a very good reputation. Uh, There's been a lot of failures. There's been a lot of failures by the church in the West. There's been a lot of things that have gone unchecked. And there's a lot of cynicism towards Christians and the church in North America. But the average Christian is not a North American Christian. The average Christian isn't even really a white person. The average Christian around the world is probably an impoverished person who has much darker skin than myself. And we are not just part of something here in the United States that has a bad reputation because it's got a lot of things wrong, which is true about the church. We are part of a worldwide movement of 2.5 billion sinners who have been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ and are united together spreading his message to all peoples. And if you can catch a glimpse of that, you should say, that is awesome. I am part of something much bigger than myself, part of something much bigger than this little church building here in Hollywood, Florida, part of something much bigger than even the church in the United States. You are part of a worldwide movement because God is spreading the good news to all peoples through us. That is awesome. But lastly, God is at work spreading his awesome presence. We get this weird character here at the end of the story named Simon the Magician. And what we know about Simon is he was a sorcerer, like someone who practiced black magic. He he tapped into dark spiritual powers. And what we also know about Simon was he's kind of an influencer in Samaria. If he was on social media, he would have a lot of followers. But he wasn't humble about it. Like, he liked to be called Simon the Great. And he would tell you that, I am great. But when Philip the evangelist rolls into town and begins doing miracles by the power of God, Simon's like, what is this? I don't know these magic tricks. And as people begin to pay attention more to Philip than Simon, Simon realizes there's a new show in town, and he begins to, uh, he begins to pay attention to what Philip is doing. And as these people convert, Simon says, this is awesome. I'm getting in on this too. And as these Samaritans become Christians, Peter and John come down from Jerusalem. And the reason that they come down is because these people had believed in Jesus Christ, but they had not received the Holy Spirit. Now, this is an abnormal circumstance. Normally, when people become Christians, at that moment, they receive the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, to even become a Christian, I think you need the Holy Spirit working on you before you even become one. But at this moment, it is something absolutely unique because the message of the gospel is breaking into a new people group. And Peter and John, as the authoritative witnesses of Jesus, have to come down to validate it and make sure and go, yeah, this is legit. So Peter and John come down and they see all these Samaritans that Philip has evangelized. And they pray that they will receive the Holy Spirit, and all the Samaritans do. 
something visibly happens. Maybe like in Acts 2, they start speaking in languages that they did not know from around the world. But something visible happens to them, and these believers of Jesus are filled with the Holy Spirit, and Simon the magician is watching, he goes, wow, whatever just happened here, I need that in my bag of tricks. This is awesome. And so he goes to Peter, and he says, listen, how much do I have to pay you to get this trick? Which is common for magicians in this day. What they would do is, if you had a good magic trick that they wanted to put in their repertoire, they had to give you money so that it could become their trick as well. But Peter rebukes Simon. Peter rebukes Simon. Peter says, may your silver be destroyed with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Simon was in awe, but he was only in awe of what God could give him rather than that God could come to live in him. Simon thought what God was doing was awesome, but Simon wanted God's amazing power rather than wanting God's amazing presence in his life. And I wonder, as we finish here, if there's room for us to examine that and think about Simon's heart and think about our own hearts could it be that sometimes we have lost our awe? We've lost our awe of God because we're so focused on what we want from God rather than the fact that through Jesus we get God. God gives himself to us through his Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, the Spirit of God comes to live in you and will never leave you and never forsake you and becomes a permanent part of your personality as the third person of the Trinity and will walk with you every day and encourage you and inspire you and convict you and remind you that you're a child of God and never, ever, ever leave you? Maybe. Maybe we're in awe of the wrong things. Because when we begin to remember that God lives in us through his Holy Spirit, we can say, that is awesome. That is awesome. It's not just what we get from God. It's that we get God to live in us. <laughs> Sinful, weak people. And when we begin to remember that and every day thank God that the Spirit lives in us, might, might it recapture some of our awe in our awesome God? Listen, when you begin to capture this, what happens? Well, you begin to spread the good news. You begin to take part in what God is doing in this world. You realize that you're part of something much greater than yourself, and you begin to cross cultures, and you begin to go to difficult people, and you begin to reach out to others in the midst of bad time, and we even when they're evil, because the good news of the gospel is what God is doing in this world, and you get to be part of it. And that's exactly how our passage ends. 
So after they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem. But on the way, they spread this good news, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Friends, when you begin to understand what God is doing in the world and that you get to be part of it, you will regain your sense of awe that an awesome God has invited you to be part of spreading the good news. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. Download our app by searching New City HH in your app store. We'll see you next week.